beautiful display around us this morning. As much as we enjoy what we see around us, you, you realize there is nothing greater, there's nothing more for us to enjoy than to be reminded that we have a God who loves us so much he offered his son to die in our place. So when we put our faith and our trust in him, we can have life eternally, life more abundantly. Wonderful, wonderful thought to just pause on that as we focus all of our attention on the Lord this morning. If this is your first time at Big Woods, a special welcome to you. If it's been a long time since you've been at Big Woods, a special welcome to you. You have been missed. If you have been here every single week, a special welcome to you as well. And I am grateful for your faithfulness. What I want to do this morning, a little bit different, I'm going to read the text right out of the gate. I want to take some time to, in a sense, build the case of why this text is so important for us, explain it to you as best as I can, and at the end take a few moments to apply it. What do we take with us as we head out? So we have a text before us, Romans chapter 12, verse 17. We'll read through the end of the chapter, verse 21. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> Repay no one evil for evil, but, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Would you bow our heads and pray with me? Father, we stand this morning in your presence with our heads bowed, and we thank you for who you are in your sovereign control. We thank you for these words that you have given to us. We thank you for your spirit that is present within us. We thank you for this day that has been set apart from all others to focus our attention on you. I thank you, Lord, for every single person that will hear these words. And Lord, I plead for help this morning. Please give to me the right words so that the name of Jesus is exalted. We as, as, a, as a body of believers, faithful followers of Jesus, would have our affections stirred, not only towards one another, but towards you. And Lord, also that we would see today, we would see today our community that is hurting, that is aching. Lord, many that would love to just attack and criticize the belief that we would hold on to and lord may we see how to love them well according to your word i pray lord this morning especially for people that are here with heavy hearts minister to them strengthen them 
renew their minds so they set their attention on you. Father, we do lift up Matt right now and Angelin with Matt's brother Dave's recent diagnosis of cancer. And we know, Lord, from a human perspective, it does not look good, but we thank you, Lord, that we can trust you in this journey. We pray for healing physically. We pray for healing spiritually. We pray, Lord, for our dear brother to have strength. May we be reminded, Lord, that when we see one another, we we don't see the story that is behind the eyes and in the hearts of every single person. May we be sensitive to the needs of those around us. May you make us acutely aware so that we would we would minister in a way, Lord, that you are pleased. Father, please guide us now through this time. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. We ask this in the amazing and matchless name of Jesus, whose name is above every other name. Amen and amen. The author we know, the author is the Apostle Paul. He has been striving to teach us, to thoroughly explain to us how the gospel, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, can and should influence every single area of our lives, every single aspect of the Christian's life. But it's not only how we interact with one another here, but also we're going to see as we, what we live for impact in this world for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to note right here, Romans chapter 12, verse 17, all the way through Romans chapter 15, verse 13, there is a transition as we move. We've been talking about how we function together as a local church. But today, we begin what a transition outside of what I call the cuteness of the church or the closeness, the confines of the church to an ever-expanding outward focus toward our culture. This means what? It means living out our faith in a greater, in a broader, in in a larger context. In our lobby, you'll see a a white and red box, and it's very clearly marked with these big letters, A-E-D. It's referred to as an automated external defibrillator. And why is that there? It's there because if, if someone here has a heart that stops beating then we're we're to go to that and you better follow the instructions very carefully. And what happens with one of those things? You use it to shock life into the dying. You realize that's what the church of Jesus Christ is called to do? But I tell you what, you don't just give anybody one of those things to mess with. You, You better follow the instructions. My little grandson as he's building his Legos would say pop up you got to follow the constructions pretty closely and that's true that's why we gather like this that's why we have the word of God before us how do we do what God has called us to do well 
That's the role of the local church of Jesus Christ. And what happens, I think, is that we too often short sell the transforming power of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. It is the ultimate source of everything that what? Heals and strengthens and redeems and makes sense out of the craziness and the brokenness that surrounds us. What happens is that Christians who would say, I believe the gospel too often, what? Sheepishly wander around the edges of it. Afraid. Afraid at some level to speak up. Afraid that we're going to offend someone. Hesitant to live out fully. And thus be labeled. You follow, you live by the gospel you run the risk of being labeled as one of them. What is one of them? A sold out Christ follower. Because we, we know what it means. We know what it means. If we're going to be a sold out Christ follower, we know that there is to be no more attacking. There is to be no more criticizing. No, no pointing out. No shouting out. There's no condemning and accusing. But rather what happens is we're going to live as a sold out follower of Jesus Christ. We're to be moving and speaking and living in a gentleness. God's word would say in a meekness toward others. Offering wisdom. When asked, showing grace when needed, extending forgiveness when hurt, and proving, proving our love. And we, we know this is hard, and we know it's going to take time, but let me tell you this it will be well worth it. Dr. Richard Lintz, a former professor, at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, he works for Redeemer City to City in New York City. It's an organization that works on leadership development that starts and strengthens churches in major cities around the world. I recently had the opportunity to sit under his teaching for a week. He recently wrote Identity and Idolatry, a book, The Image of God and Its Inversion. How we've twisted our view of God and we've become the center focus. And he writes on the significance of gospel impact. And he does something that kind of caught my attention. He uses to help us understand one's dining preference. One's dining preference as a metaphor. He uses a restaurant as a metaphor. Richard Lentz says this, and I quote, The, the recent renaissance of farm-to-table traditions in the West comes as a mild rebuke to the gospel-believing church that too easily can be co-opted by the fast food culture of late modernity. In that light, might the church encourage people to eat meals together, end quote. I love that quote. Because what has happened here, what do we mean? It is not a frozen, prepackaged, Warm up for 60 seconds in the microwave slop. It's not that. It's not that. It, it speaks of a freshness. It speaks of what? It's going to take time. This is quality as we invest in the lives 
of one another. How are we to do this? This is what we're going to spend time over the next couple weeks. Let me speak on the fact that if we were to have impact in our community as God has called us to do as followers of him, as proclaimers of the greatest message that's ever existed in the history of the world, if we're to have impact, we are to focus on this, being able to answer questions that our community is asking. Let me, let me repeat that. That's what this text is about. As we, what, have impact in the community, we, we have got to be able to offer answers, the right answer, in gentleness and meekness, with full truth. But we're answering questions that we know our community is asking. And if our community is asking anything, we have got to be able to offer a response to it. Anything. How do I talk to my sixth grader about anxiety and depression? You know, people in our community are asking that question. How do I talk to, to my middle school daughter who's struggling with her identity? She claims that she's struggling with her sexual identity. That's the question that people are asking in our community. How can I help a loved one who is caught, trapped in addiction? How do I know God is real? We have heard that question from people in our community. Why is it that God seems so distant? Why is it that God seems so disconnected? If God is a loving God, why are there horrible things that happen in our world? Why, why church? Why this? Why this Bible? Why so much attention to that? Big stuff, right on to what? What might be in other people's lives even bigger stuff? Do, do you know where I can get help? Do you know where I can get baby formula? You realize that's the question, questions that our community is asking. Two weeks ago, I sat down with a friend of mine. He is a friend of another faith. Jesus Christ has nothing to do with his faith, with his religious belief. We sat together and I asked him this question. I said, could I ask you, what, what do you think? What is your view of biblical Christianity? What is your view? He knows where we live and what we do and who gathers here. What is your view of the church, of the church. And I so appreciated his gentleness and his honesty. As he said, Tim, it seems like from my view looking in, it seems like the church cares more about themselves than anyone else in our community. Now, now, we know that's, that's one voice. Even if, if, if that one voice, just one voice of assessment, if that one voice is accurate, that is an indictment of major concern. It, it just seems like the church cares more about themselves than anyone else in our community. Let, let, let me remind you that we do not exist just to exist. We, we, we exist on purpose. We exist 
for purpose. God redeemed us. God sent his son to die on the cross for a reason, for impact. We exist to affect. It says what? Jesus came in Luke chapter 19 verse 10. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We know that Jesus what? Died so people would not only have life but it says in John chapter 10 verse 10 that they would have life more abundantly. And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not totally convinced here that our role is to change the entire culture. I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. Rather, I, I think we do need to understand. We have to have our eyes open and our ears open to understand what is happening around us. Does evil exist? Are people hurting? We have to understand this so we are able to offer truth that changes lives within the culture and context that we've been called to live. James Hunter offers a compelling argument. I do not necessarily agree with every single thing he says in a book called To Change the World for significant and needed change in our late modern world for effectiveness for the work of the gospel. And he describes what is referred to as a theology of faithful presence. A theology of faithful presence. And he explains it as a a model of engagement in and with the world around us. It is a theology of commitment. A theology of promise. It is disarmingly simple in concept, yet in its implications it provides a challenge at points to all the dominant paradigms of cultural engagement in the church. And you have to remember, all of that, we're going to make a commitment towards other people in our community to care for them and love them. We're going to have a theology of faithful presence. We're going to live life alongside of them. All of that happens, what? Underneath the authority of the Word of God. I'm not into to culture change. I, I'm into what? The authority of Scripture teaching us how to speak the truth of the gospel into lives that will change within the culture. So our ultimate authority is God and his word. And that's why this text here, as I give you three points very quickly, the first one is this, we have to know that evil is real. And it says, repay no one evil for evil. So you take this one out of your toolbox when we hear and see all of the nastiness and evil that takes place. In this next section that we'll deal with, the Apostle Paul offers many subjects, a lot of subjects that are connected to the outside world. And it's important to note how the gospel will shape our thoughts as we respond to it. Look around, we don't have to look, and we don't have to describe, but there is a lot of evil that exists in our world. I thought it was interesting to note as well, many scholars seem to think that this this particular text doesn't only deal with today, but there's an eschatological future end time um, emphasis here. Which means that there's evil that exists now, but get ready, get ready. There's actually going to be more evil. I know that's probably not what you want to hear when you come to church. Like, whoa, what'd you learn about? I'm going to, like, it's bad and it's going to get really bad. But that's the truth of what we see in Scripture. 
We have to pay attention to what we could call natural evil. A a tree falls over and crushes a house and kills a person. In a sense, well, who's responsible for that? This is just natural evil. There's, There's brokenness and sinfulness that happens in our world. We also have to pay attention to what is referred to as moral evil. One week ago yesterday... It it captivated all of the news. Yet one more. Yet one more mass shooting. An 18-year-old boy graduated from high school in June, last June. Drives three hours to Buffalo, New York to carry out a racist and hate-filled attack targeting as many black people. I I just don't like these people. The sheriff of Erie County, his name was John Garcia, in a press conference, said this, describing that act. This was pure evil. You walk into a grocery store, and you just start, just start murdering. This is pure evil. Now, in, in some sense, we kind of reserve, like, what is pure evil? In some sense, we, like, that's satanic. Like, Satan is pure evil. That's the rebellion against God. It's absolute evil. It's unquestionable, unobjectionable evil. And we know that it is real because this is not an isolated event. So we need to have, there's no doubt, what happens every single time, all of, for that next week, conversations, need it, necessary conversations about the evil of racism and we need to have those conversations we, we need to have conversations about mental illness we have to have those conversations we have to have conversations about the 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 access to assault weapons when this boy was arrested last year and given a a, a title as a potential threat and yet somehow his access, we have to have those conversations. But regardless of all the conversations, I want to make something very clear. Mankind cannot and will not defeat the evil that exists in this world. All those important conversations, mankind cannot and they will not defeat evil that exists. Why? Because only God can and he ultimately did it when he sent his son to die on the cross the work was accomplished of defeating evil ultimately when his son rose from the the dead three days later it's pretty obvious you can have all the studies you can do all the research you, you, can, you, can, you can dot every I and cross every T, and it is very, uh, you cannot, we cannot get into the head and the heart of another person. But I tell you what we can do, and what we're called to do, is respond correctly to it. And, and it's here that the author begins with this subject of retaliation. Basically, he says right out of the gate, Christian, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are prohibited from responding to evil with evil. And it, it goes back. Like, this isn't the first time we've all heard this. 
Paul and sense is going to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. But yeah, but that's, that's archaic. That's ancient language. No, no, Leviticus chapter 19 says what? Same principle applies today. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I love the, it's a, it's a sentence. It's a short sentence. At the end of that, it stands alone and it says this. With four words. Like you, you, you don't have the authority to do this. And then there's a sentence that says, I am the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22 says exactly the same thing. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. And he will deliver you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to leave vengeance to God. Michael Byrd describes it as the spiral of pain and loss would only be amplified if we, if, we, if we went that route. Matthew Henry says, and this is a stunning description. Henry says, recompense to no man evil for evil, for that is a brutish recompense and befitting only those animals which are not conscience either of being above them or any state before them. What, what is he saying? You, you know what happens when people behave like that? It's the same as an animal. And we are created in the image of God to live, what? For our good and ultimately for his glory. So, so understand, this doesn't begin, like we don't burst out of the gates here with this exciting, wonderful, like wow. No, we have to be aware of what's going on in our culture, in our community. And what questions people are asking, like why? Know this, evil Israel. Number two, wisdom is required. James says what? If you lack wisdom, well, that would be me. I, I, my hand is up. If you lack wisdom... And you ask of God, he will give it to you. I, I can confess to you and I can admit to you, every single day, every single day, every single day of my life, I ask, please, Lord, give me more wisdom. When anyone comes up to me and they say, Pastor, is there something that I can pray for? I say, almost the exact same thing. I'm sorry, I'm not more like more fun or flashy or creative. I say almost exactly the same thing. Pastor, is there something that I can pray for? Is there something that, that you need? Is there something I can do to you? I said, yeah, pray. I need more wisdom. I need more wisdom. I hang around old guys as much as I can because I love the wisdom. I won't give names of who the old guys are. So, so what happens, it says, give thought just pause on this. Don't, don't pay anyone evil for evil, but give thought. The word here in Greek is prononio. Give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Another translation would say this. Be careful. Another one would say, carefully consider. So we watch, we hear, we see the evil. Here's our response first and foremost. Give thought. Carefully consider. Pause here. We stop here in all of the craziness and brokenness. We stay calm. We seek counsel. We, we pray 
and we search. What, what is the right response here? What is the right response here? How do we respond to this? I was reading this week in my quiet time. And I don't know how I ended up in 2 Kings. I'm kind of working my way slowly. And there's a lot of death and bloodshed there. But I, I want to go Old Testament for a moment because I, I thought this, this is a perfect example. Let me, let me just very quickly give you a, a little setting. Old Testament, think about this. The history of Israel is a, is a sordid one. A, a chosen family. God has what? Put his finger upon. There's a covenant relationship. They are people of promise. There's people of blessing. And yet we know that they are caught and ensnared in bondage. God miraculously offers freedom to them, provision, ultimately prominence with the kings, David and Solomon, and yet they still end up in disobedience, a divided kingdom. Idolatry abounds. There is unfaithfulness and there is painful, painful consequence. There are many kings, there's many leaders that are described with this same phrase. That they did what was right in their own eyes. They did whatever they wanted to do. And then in the middle of 2 Kings in chapter 18, we're introduced to another king. His name is Hezekiah. And there's a different description for him. And it says this, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And there's further description here of Hezekiah. It says that he trusted the Lord in verse 3. It says that he held fast to the Lord. He, he held tight. It says that he did not depart from following him, but he kept his commandments. And I love this, the Lord was with him. Faithful king in the midst of absolute, absolute evil and corruption around him. What, what, what happens to faithfulness? What happens when there's a faithful father, a faithful mother? What happens when, when, when there's a, a little girl at school and she's faithful? What happens to those people? They get what? They get assaulted. They get attacked. You are one of them. That's exactly what happens right here. There is an arch enemy, a nemesis. His name is King Sennacherib of Assyria. And so what he does is he launches a major assault in 701 BC. And actually, archaeologists have shed significant light on this particular event. What happens is that the Assyrians build a, a siege ramp on the southwest corner of the major Judean city of Lachish. And with archers and with infantry, they took the city. They took control of the city. And so what's happening now is that Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, is in its sights. So what happens is that King Sennacherib sends messengers, representatives, to speak on his behalf. And Hezekiah, the king, sends representatives to listen on his behalf. Listen to this description. L listen to uh, the language that is used. 2 Kings chapter 18, 
Thus says the king. These are the messengers of Sennacherib who are speaking on his behalf. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. For he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Don't let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. And the city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. And thus says the king of Assyria. Make your peace with me. And come out to me. Listen to this. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine. Each one of you will have his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come to take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying the Lord will deliver you. Change, change, change the setting. Change the scene. You can go Old Testament or New Testament. You can go 1st century or you can go 21st century. This is exactly the same message that you're hearing today. Do not, do not listen to that ancient nonsense. No, li listen to me. I I'm going to give you blessing like you've never had. Y'all get your own olive tree, fig tree. Don't, don't listen to this stuff. Don't obey a God who is out of touch, who is out of date. After all, how can a loving God deliver you when there's so much bloodshed and war and hardship and pain? What is the message that we hear today just like the message that we hear in the Old Testament of Sennacherib's representatives? There must, there must be a better way. There must be an easier way. There must be a happier way because the Lord's views... For life and order and, and, and obedience and submission and holiness and honesty. The role of a man, the role of a woman, the role of marriage. The sanctity of life. Raising children. The description of worship, the importance of fellowship. All of that that the Lord says. That stands in stark contrast. To everything that we hear today. And you know, at some level, isn't it kind of, isn't the wording familiar? Where, where it says, why, that, that don't listen to Hezekiah, don't listen to his Lord. No, listen to me that you may live and not die. Is that, does that sound familiar? Genesis chapter 3, there's a serpent who's speaking to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve who have been what? Blessed. Everything. Everything is out there for you to enjoy, but don't touch this. God says, do not eat of this tree. The serpent says, you can eat it. You will not die. Same exact line. Same exact lie. Just 
different packaging. Just, just put a different bow on the outside of it. We have to understand that God created us in his image to live in purposeful obedience. And after the creation of man and woman, he says, this is very good. That, that we get to live in full obedience. Why? For our good and for his glory. The, the Apostle Paul is writing here in the book of Romans of how we are to respond in the midst of evil. And he's saying what? You keep your eyes on the Lord. You trust him and trust his word. And there's a security to that. Pastor Tony Evans and his wife Lois were on an Alaskan cruise a number of years ago. And, and, and it was a bad storm. There were choppy seas. And waves were crashing up above. And the, the entire ship was swaying in this storm. Tony Evans and his wife Lois were in their cabin and she was quite disturbed. And she's asking the questions, can't, can't, can't the captain do something about this? Like, can he change course? Can he change speed? And so she's trying to convince her husband, honey, you need to call the captain. You need to ask him to do something about this. Change course, change speed. There must be something. Typical man's response, uh, honey, no, I'm not going to call the captain in the middle of a storm to say, can you quiet the storm? And she is beside herself. And she's like, I'm calling myself. How she got through eventually, but she got through to the captain on the phone. Can you do something about this? Change course. Change speed. The captain said one thing in response. He said, lady, go to sleep. Because this ship was built to go through this storm. Uh there is such truth of knowing that in the midst of the turmoil that exists around us, there, there is such peace regardless of the terrifying stormy seas, wave after wave after wave that crashes. There is a calm wisdom of knowledge that you can trust in the Lord and know, know this. People, there is, there is nothing more honorable that we can ever do in the sight of all. It says, what, what do we do here? Carefully consider, what is it that's honorable that we can do in the sight of all? Let me tell you this. There's nothing that you can ever do, particularly to those maybe who have even shown you evil. There's nothing more honorable you can ever do than to point that person to the one who suffered more evil than anyone else who ever lived so he could offer them everlasting peace and forgiveness. Number one, we, we know that evil is real. Number two, we know that wisdom is required. Thirdly, and finally, a gospel response is needed. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves, never. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Remember, the, the gospel looks the same in every single culture. And yet, the gospel at some level kind of looks different as we, what? Live it out. 
in every single culture. So the stakes are high. I understand that. The right response is needed. And I have discovered this, that you don't always get a lot of grace extended to you when you offer the message of the gospel. I don't think, oftentimes, it's not even a lot of hope for many chances. You might just get one chance to speak clearly. Therefore, when... In God's providence, the opportunity arises for you to speak. The, the redeemed, okay? The blood-bought children of God. The true church of Jesus Christ. Not something that masquerades like the church of Jesus Christ. But the true church of Jesus Christ. Better strive to get to the gospel and to get the gospel right. Today more than any other time. What, what is present in this particular verse here? If you begin to say, wait a minute. If possibly live peace. There's peace that's present. There's unity of presence. What? With everyone. With all. Forgiveness. When, you, when you're not going to avenge yourselves. You, you know ultimately. What your response is. To be. There, there's faith that's demonstrated here. Leave it to the wrath of God. I've got to trust him. That's faith. There's justice here. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says Lord. Th think about what's in this verse here. Peace and unity and forgiveness and faith and justice. What, what is that? That's gospel. That's good gospel language here. And we know that, that we can't do any of these things. I cannot do any of these things. I can't offer peace. I can't, I can't work towards unity and trust apart from the Lord. I, I can't do, I don't have that in me. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability. It's good gospel language. We can only have peace with others when we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that happens as we learned and study in Romans chapter 5 when we have been justified by faith. By faith. Not in how many righteous things you can do to impress other people. They're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're to seek unity. We can't do that ourselves. Why? So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 15. We're to be forgiving towards one another. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. We're to demonstrate faith. It says that we're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding in Proverbs chapter 3. This is good gospel language here. We're to leave justice in God's hands knowing the wrongdoer will be paid back for wrong he has done. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. There is no partiality in a world that is swirling with evil. In a time that evil abounds, there is no need for you to fret, for you to fear, or to get yourself kind of like worked up. No, no, the work has already been accomplished. God is just. God is in control. And you can be assured of this. God will not be mocked. If you go back to 2 Kings again, remember the Old Testament kind of illustration? In the very next chapter, 2 Kings chapter 19. Yeah, it, it, tells, it tells the rest of the story. 
Let, let, me, let me just very quickly, just, just, and Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. <clears throat> he, he read it. And it says that he went up to the house of the Lord, he spread it before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O oh Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they're not gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. Listen, listen to Hezekiah. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. What is Hezekiah's response? He just collapses on his knees before the Lord and he lays it all out. And he said, Lord, we, we trust you. Please save us. Please deliver us. The, the story continues. I, I won't take the time to read it all. It's, it's rather gory, but an angel of the Lord comes and it says destroys 185,000 soldiers. And it doesn't end there. Sennacherib in defeat heads back to Nineveh to, to reign his own little kingdom and his own sons murder him and take over the throne. You, you, you may not understand what's going on around us. Matter of fact, we probably can't fully understand where, where God has called us to live. Why, why is it there's so many people that are hurting around us? We may not fully be able to explain that. I don't, think you, I don't think you have to understand, but you do need to be aware of the questions that people are asking and the hurt that does exist. And you and I need to be prepared to offer the correct answer. Don't, don't get angry. Don't be afraid. Don't attack. Don't race to judgments. Remember this, finally, just endure. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Seek his wisdom that comes from above. Continue to point people to Jesus. Get to the gospel and get the gospel right. Be accurate. And trust him. Part one. We'll continue on next week. Father, we love you and we need your help we need your help. I, I need your help together as we seek to strive to be obedient. Lord, we know, we know what's happening around us. And we ask, Lord, that you would give to us the strength that we need to be clear in our message, to have wisdom from above, to be calm and speak truth in love and grace to those who need it. Thank you for the message of the gospel that frees us. May we offer that freedom to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Tim. I invite you to stand with us as we close, and we'll go out with a, a song.